Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Valley show. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Victoria Evans. Good afternoon to you. It is afternoon, I believe. Yeah, we're in the same time zone. I'm super excited. I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Listen, it's great. You're going to have to bottom it out. So first of all, you're Canadian. You're in Portugal. I'm in Ireland. So we're we're literally multi-international, multi-continental here. It's 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 all the uh, the best ways to live, right? Oh yeah, totally. And it also confuses people as well, where it's like my time zone with my accent, and it's just all very exciting. So yeah. <laughs> oh, listen. Well, it's lovely to have you on the show. So first of all, Victoria, tell us who are you? What do you do? And where are you originally from? Let's say. Yeah. So my name is Victoria. Um, I basically call myself a science-based intuitive eating coach. Basically I became an online coach through my own struggles with eating disorder recovery. I found the systems to be really, speaking. I really, really struggled. And I basically created this kind of program unintentionally to save my own life. Um, and it kind of just took off from there. People started to ask me about it and two years down the line, it's what I do full time now. And I get to travel the world and lived in Bali for two and a half years, been all over Asia. Now I'm in Europe. Um, I'm originally from Canada, as you mentioned, from a very, very small town, like 20,000, maybe if that population, um, North of Toronto, like two and a half hours Northeast of Toronto in Ontario. And that's a quick intro about me. I can go super deep on that, but <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, I mean, first of all, you, you talked about eating disorders. Can you describe that? Mm -hmm. What does that actually mean if someone's trying to understand that? Yeah. So I'm someone who, I mean, struggled my entire life with body image. I had this idea that if I was just skinnier and cuter, I would be loved and feel good and feel happy. Um, because my whole life, I felt like an outsider. I felt like I didn't fit in Whether it be the fact that, I mean, I'm five foot 10 now, but I swear I was like that my whole life. Like I always just stuck out broader shoulders, more bone muscular. And I just thought, you know, if I just looked younger and cuter, computer, then people kind of would like me. And then as I kind of got a little bit older, you know, that idea becomes really reinforced, especially if you've been socialized as a woman, that your body is basically kind of your worth to the world, right? You have to look really beautiful and look a certain way. And so I basically started struggling with eating disorders around age 12, 13. Um, this is really when my you know, anxiety, my depression really kicked off. And again, this idea that if I just looked a certain way, then I would be happy. Um, and so that actually kicked off at age 12 bulimia. Um, so that's like, I was forcing myself to purge basically. Um, and that was a over just about a 10 year battle with bulimia. Um, and then on and off, I was struggling with binge eating as well. Um, and then later on into my early late teens, early twenties, I struggled with anorexia. Um, so I was not eating a lot of food, lost an insane amount of weight. Um, I was addicted to exercise, exercising like four or five hours a day. Um, and my hair was falling out. I lost my period amenorrhea. Like I was a complete, complete mess. Um, and you know, I really found myself 
having this moment of like, you know, I was in this body that I always dreamed of. And yet it was nothing like I'd ever wanted it to be. Like I had the, you know, the abs, I had the everything, um, that I thought I should look like. And yet I had never been uh, unhappier. So it was a very confusing, difficult time in my life to kind of reach this goal of looking what I thought was meant to be happy and never being so miserable or so empty. What were you looking for at that time? Do you know? I was so desperate to feel loved and to feel seen. And I thought the way to do that was through achieving perfection. (laughs) I thought if I looked more perfect and acted more perfect and was more perfect, then people would like me more. And I thought that because I wasn't perfect, that's what was driving the disconnection. Now, in hindsight, realizing that it's perfection, you know, the seeking of perfection that drives the disconnection. And when we see our flaws in other people, when we see ourselves represented, you know, through social media or even with our friends, we connect with that. We connect with imperfections. And so the irony that I was starting my entire life to look perfect while keeping everyone at arm's length because I was, you know, trying so hard to look a certain way. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I'm just I'm just noticing there about how you know you talked about that connection. I mean, just quickly whittle us where you are today. I mean, are you connected mm-hmm. with your true self? I mean, uh, are you one and the same of who you are and who you truly are? Is that is that gap shut mm-hmm. now, or what? What stage are you at in your life? I would say for me, it's the closest it's ever been to feeling connected to myself. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent by any stretch of the imagination, and you know, that's one of the difficult things about traveling the world. I've just been here for about a month now, um, is creating community and creating connection. And so that's something I have to be super intentional about because I am very much an introvert. I like to do my own thing. I like to travel on my own and it can be very easy for me to live in a space of just doing all my, like all my own, going different places. I just was in Porto for the weekend by myself. Um, So I'm someone who has to very actively be like, okay, I'm going to go out to connect with people to do the things. Um, and so I'm the closest I've ever been. I would not say it's perfect. I definitely get lonely. I definitely struggle, but at the same time, I'm very aware that fixing my body is not the solution because it was never the problem. So I have a completely different mindset around connection and vulnerability and what it means to kind of show up and be authentic. And if someone doesn't like me or doesn't like that, it just means they're not for me, not that I'm broken or something wrong with me. So I'd say I've had a lot of big shifts around kind of what it means to connect the purpose of connection. And you know what I will say with clients, like, you know, when you say we want to lose weight, what we really mean is we want to feel loved and connected and worthy and good enough. And none of that is going to come from achieving a certain body size. Mm. Well, very, very powerful. Um, and just take us back. So, I mean, you talked there about sort of really being quite a young, you know, young age and purging, as you put it there, and, and that sort of bulimia. I mean, how was that mm-hmm. serving you at that time? What were you seeking? Do you know? Yeah. So at that time, I had no idea how to deal with the amount of pain that was going on inside of me. I was so depressed. I was so unhappy. And, you know, my parents had just divorced. My dad had been having affairs. Um, it was my 12th birthday, actually, that my sister had found out that they were having an affair and the whole thing kind of blew up. Um, and I didn't know how to feel how I was feeling. I didn't know how to process how I was feeling. I was never taught how to feel my feelings. And I had a lot of anger, I had a lot of sadness. And the only way I knew to deal with that was to eat a lot of food to completely numb out and then purge it all. Because for me, purging was like this 
violent acts, basically, of getting everything out of your system, emotions, anger, frustration, everything, and then literally just flushing it away and pretending you were fine the whole time. It's like a very secretive behind the scenes. You can appear totally perfect on the outside and on the inside, you can feel completely broken, but no one has to know because you're able to keep all your emotions, everything you're feeling kind of tucked away behind this secret disease of bulimia. So it's, in weird way, it served a purpose in the sense of it, it got me to where I am now and almost killed me <laughs> and, and it was horrible. And I would never wish it upon anyone, but I don't think that looking at anything as like regret is beneficial. I think it's what we did at the time to keep us alive. It was the best I could do at that time with the tools I had available to me. You know, if I would have had more help, if I had more support, maybe things would have been different, but it's kind of where I'm at now. And as someone who struggles with bulimia, like oh my gosh, please get help. You know, it's such a horrible disease and it can take over your entire life and it doesn't bring you any further forward in your life. It's like, keeps you very stuck. It keeps you very, um, just feeling empty in every sense of the word. And so, yeah, it was horrible. It was on and off. Yeah. For 10 years. And it was, it, it really destroyed me in so many ways. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, would you decide, describe that side of it? I mean, is that is that a symptom or is it a cause? Do you think? I mean, you know, I know for myself, I've had two bouts of depression in my life, and I, I describe it generally more as it's it's a symptom. You know, you don't catch depression; it's it's as yeah. a result of something else. I mean, is that the case? Do you think with eating disorders, it's there is a there's a trigger a way back wherever, which mm -hmm. then causes this, and then the, the sort of the outcome or the symptom or the the, the sort of the the surface level uh, thing then results as this. So. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I don't know if my answer is going to respond in the way that maybe that you're looking for, but the way I kind of look at it was, it was kind of like the culmination. It was like the perfect storm of things. Hmm. It was like, I didn't know how to process my emotions. Things in my whole world felt so out of control outside of me. Like I couldn't figure anything out. I couldn't keep anything kind of um, under control as it were. And so my control of food was what I felt I had control over. And so bulimia with the kind of variables of like unstable home life, trying to like feeling disconnected from my friends, from my school, from everything. Um, yeah, the emotions trying to look perfect in a society that tells us you want to look a certain way. It was kind of like, that was the sum of basically of kind of what it looked like. Um, that's the kind of the way that I kind of look at it. Other people may say it is a symptom. I kind of looked at it as, you know, a logical conclusion to all the variables that were kind of adding up in my life, the kind of the logical sum, as it were. Some people that might be, they are drinking. Some people that might be, they are, you know, gambling. Some people might be other things. For me, that was the way that I could, that it was available to me at that time to try to deal with all the things going on in my life that I had no idea how to process them. Mm. Tell me what, what was... You know, Minnie Victoria, like, what was she? What's her person? She uh, makes it's. I was such a bubbly. My parents called me a spirited child. Um, they they had a they had a parenting book called How to Parent Your Spirited Child, um, because I would throw tantrums. I was very colicky as a baby. Um, I had a lot of big emotions, and again, I did not know how to deal with them. Like my dad always had a temper. My mom just like never really showed how she was feeling. My older sister was very sensitive. Um, my younger sister was just like a bit of a troublemaker. So. 
I never wanted to be the burden in the family because I saw how other people in my life felt in my tiny brain, like they were. And so I was always the goofy one trying to be the peacemaker, trying to make everyone laugh. So I developed a very sarcastic personality to kind of deal with a lot of that pain. Um, and yeah, so growing up, I had a very kind of vibrant, goofy, um, silly personality. As I got older, that was very much to cover up a lot of the pain um, and a lot of the sadness that I felt inside. And then that part of myself really kind of just became very dark. Um, so outwardly, I you know pretended everything was great, everything was wonderful. I did my hair perfectly, my makeup, everything. Um, but inside, it was like this deep sorrow, this deep unhappiness. So there was, it was kind of like I felt pretty matched with my younger self, like in terms of what I was outwardly showing and how I was inwardly feeling. Till I was like maybe like eight or nine, um, and then from there, there was a definitely kind of a bit of a divergence in terms of like trying to appear a certain way, but feeling completely differently. Mm. And the person you are today, have you, do you think you've ever been that person before in your life? Have you ever had that chance to be that free and that, um, just allowance to be you and without outside influence? Honestly, I, I don't, in terms of how I feel about life, my optimism, my excitement for life, that is something I maybe felt when I was a young child. But even one of my earliest memories was like imagining that I was going to be like the ballerinas when I was taking dance class when I was five, you know, and I was going to look like them one day. So from a very early age, my kind of desire, my aspirations were tinted, tainted a little bit by this idea of like looking a certain way. So when I remove that now and kind of the remainder is just my desire to just live and explore and like just experience new things. It'd be food or going to a performance or meeting new people. Um, and so this kind of zest for life without any of the weight of expectations of things that I should be, or I shouldn't be things that I, you know, we're all taught we should have the house or we should have the car, which is amazing if that's what you truly want, you know, but oftentimes it's not what we actually want. It's the feeling behind it that we're craving. So like I craved connection and I thought that was through a body. I craved feeling seen. I thought that meant having a Fortune 500 company job. So I was like working corporate for several years. And so realizing like, what was the actual feeling that was you know, just below the surface of that goal or that aspiration. And then that's how I live my life now. Instead of a street, you know, striving for the external achievement, it's like, what was the internal feeling? That's kind of, you know, a little bit below that. Mm. Oh, wow. So bring us forward. So, I mean, I mean, you, you do a lot, you have, you know, everything from podcasting, your coaching, you know, there's, there's so much going on there. So, I mean, you put your podcast there, so weighing in on happy, that's, you know, it seems to be going very well. So give us an overview on that and tell us, I mean, really what you, you do today. What's, what's really sort of what service do you offer? Yeah. So I have my podcast, Weighing in Happy. I love it. So basically the theme is kind of, we weigh in all the things that make us happy that don't include weight. Um, and so I talk with so many cool people between, you know, body confidence and body acceptance to the feminism, to women feeling empowered in their finances. It's really this like beautiful space, you know, intuitive eating, eating disorder recovery, all the kind of things that basically I wish my younger self would have had access to, to accelerate her, to get to the point where I am today. Um, and so 
I love it. I literally Googled a couple of years ago. I was like, how do you start a podcast? And I was like playing with it. And so it's, I always think it's cool how you can go from having no idea how to do something and maybe even having some fear, some ego around not doing it right. But, you know, just taking imperfect, messy action. And then here I am, you know, a few years later with an awesome podcast and I get to speak with people all over the world and just have this sense of connection. Um, and it's really beautiful. So yeah, I had the podcast. Um, and then today I currently offer online coaching program. So it's so cool. I get to work with people all over the world, which is just amazing. Um, so tonight I have a call at 1am because of the time zone difference, but that's okay. It doesn't happen that often in one of my group programs. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, it's a 90 day program that I currently offer. It's for women who are just so tired of feeling like they're waiting to start living their life. They're tired of feeling like they're, you know, self-sabotaging all the time, not understanding that self-sabotage is actually self-protection once you address the unmet need, um, understanding what's actually going on in their brain, actually understanding what's going on in their body. So removing all that shame and really, you know, replacing it with kind of educational empowerment because I call myself science-based intuitive eating coach. And basically is we want to understand the why, the why behind why we're doing what we're doing, because once we understand why, then we're actually able to take positive action steps forward. If we're living in a space of shame and frustration, like it, that prevents action, right? It's a lot of blaming, a lot of victim, and it's just not a good place to be. So I currently offer that right now, which is like one of my favorite things. Um, I have a course as well. Someone wants something a little bit, um, not as intimate one-on-one, um, but they want still support as well. I have a course. And then I have some different coaching programs that are group. Um, so that's kind of my different array of offerings right now. And then, yeah. And then right now, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, I'm actually looking at PhD programs right now for psychology. So that might be my next move. So to continue to do coaching and the podcast and then working to get my PhD, um, on the side. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, busy, busy person. <laughs> well, what's to use your own words, what do you truly want? Hmm. I truly want, it's not so much a, a thing, I guess I could say. I truly want freedom for me. That's just always been the thing. I wanted to have the freedom to connect to people, the freedom to eat what I want, the freedom to move my body in a way that I want, whether it be going dancing or walking around the city or whatever. Um, freedom to travel the world free. Like I just like to have this abundance feeling in my life instead of scarcity. Cause I live so much of my life and you know, I don't have enough of this or I don't look enough like this, or I need to get this house or everything was just so controlled and so insecure. And, you know, the more control we need, it just means that's the more insecure we are basically. And so when we're able to release a lot of that control and replace a lot of that with just this kind of inner sense of knowing like, it's going to be okay. You know, I trust myself. I've got my own back and I feel secure in that. I feel secure in the connections I've made with people. I feel secure in my ability to show up to a new city by myself and meet people and start a whole new life. Um, which is a pretty cool place to be when you have that sense of self-trust. And that's something that, you know, when it comes with freedom, if you trust yourself and you can really kind of do anything you want, um, kind of picking up, piggybacking off of that. Um, also having a sense of emotional freedom. So if I'm no longer fearing negative emotions, if I'm no longer fearing how I'm going to feel about myself, if something doesn't work out, there's literally nothing I can do because I'm never look at something as like, Oh, I failed. I messed up. I'm 
horrible. Like, what am I doing? It's like, okay, cool. I can feel feelings of feeling upset about that. Um, you know, that's how that didn't work out, but not making it mean something about me. So hopefully that kind of made sense, but (laughs) having the emotional freedom as well, I guess for me, um, is another way that I look at freedom. Yeah. Do you, do you care? And, I, and I'm curious because you, you talk about connection, you talk about control mm-hmm. and then you use freedom as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I suppose maybe it's my perception of, of connection, but connection would almost for me anyway, it might suggest the opposite of freedom. It might suggest mm-hmm. connection is has a weight, right? It, it's mm-hmm. not that it's freeing, but it's, it allows a deeper connection, but I don't know if I would describe it as free, but maybe that's just me, my, my perception of the word. I think for me, when I look at connection, I look at connection to people and connection is one of those base human desires. We are always seeking connection. Like we are a social species. You're very much driven by oxytocin, which is the neurotransmitter for bonding, connection, feeling a part of a group. If I feel like I am not in a group, if I feel like maybe I think of my body is not the way it should look, then I'm basically going to be freaking out. My more primitive brain is going to be freaking out and basically trying to do everything it can to get itself back into this feeling of being in a tribe. Cause you know, thousands of years ago, if you weren't in the tribe, we'd be eaten by the lion. So our brain is wired to want to assimilate, want to connect, want to feel like it's a part of the group. And so if we are going after connection about the wrong way, so trying to do it through being perfect, right? We're not actually going to ever achieve connection, but our brain is always going to be in a state of fear. So if I'm understanding that I can actually truly connect with people through imperfection, through these meaningful kind of relationships, then all of a sudden my brain no longer thinks that I've been kicked out of the tribe and there's a threat to my survival. If my brain, if my body feels a sense of safety in its connections, it feels like it's in its tribe, whether it be my friends with them around the world, back in Canada, my clients, whatever, I have this internal sense of connection and safety. So it's kind of like you won't even think about almost like a, a Maslow hierarchy of needs. Like I have that like check, like feeling of connection, bonding, right. Belonging. Sorry. Um, from there, it's like, I'm able to kind of get to a different part of my brain where I'm no longer seeking that kind of primitive desires. I can go and have the freedom to travel the world because I'm not falsely looking for a sense of, you know, safety through kind of these looking a certain way or getting the body or getting the, um, the career or whatever, because what I'm seeking is connection to my peers. Um, but I'm kind of going about it and maybe not the right way. Mm. I don't know if that explained it better. <laughs> it does. But then I'm curious, I suppose, about the, you, you describe yourself as quite introverted as well. So mm-hmm. connection and introvert, how do those two marry yeah. together? Very intentionally. I realized my whole life I'm an introvert in the sense that I recharge on my own. But it also means I have to be around the right type of person. I thought that there was something like very wrong with me if I didn't want to be around personalities who were like super loud and super like off the walls. I was like, oh, I mean, like something's weird about me. Like I can't be in those social settings where people are like super, you know, expert and out there. And I can for small periods of time, but I'm also aware that. I love having deep, meaningful conversations. I like, you know, exploring new cities. I like having those moments of silence when you're with someone and just kind of having some introspection and like not needing to fill every gap of space in the conversation. So as well as, you know, for me, I have my, what it means for me to kind of live a life worth living in terms of my goals, my aspirations, how I want to feel every day. 
that doesn't always match up with other people, depending on where they're at in their journey, depending on what they wanted of life. So if I want to connect with someone and maybe they're like, you know, one of like super crazy entrepreneur, which again, if this is you totally fine, it's just not me, you know, working like 80 hours a week, all about the grind and the hustle, like sacrifice everything so that your business succeeds. Amazing. Super happy for you. But like, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be in your circle. So for me, like connection as an introvert meant finding what people I connect with knowing I need time to recharge. So maybe going on a five day getaway with someone, you know, with a group of people, I could maybe do that, but I also be very aware that I'm like, I need to schedule this time to like recharge and reflect on myself. Maybe I need to go on a walk this day by myself. So it's more kind of having a better understanding of yourself when you're introverted, as well as being very understanding of like, who are you going to have in your circle? Mm, makes sense. It's a very interesting, as you say, and I like the fact that it's intentional, you know, I think that's, mm -hmm. that's very positive and, and the recharge side of it, you know, and then for you in terms of, um, you know, presenting, so do you think, do you think people get you straight away or is it something, are you, you more of a, you know, some people grow on you to understand you because introverts can struggle a bit with that sometimes, can't they? Cause the people don't always mm -hmm. get them like, is she being purposely quiet or is she just <laughs> not shy or what is it? Right. You know, cause when there's yeah. not much to work off, it's, it's people can misunderstand you. Did you find that at all or do people get you generally? It's funny because people almost always assume I'm an extrovert and then, but I'm not because I am able to kind of surface level, be very engaging with people, be very like happy and upbeat, um, which is probably some remnants of some people pleasing and perfectionism from long ago. Um, but people are always surprised to hear them introverted because I have a very, um, I can have a very outgoing personality when I want to have an outgoing personality. So depends on the group of people that I'm with. So if I'm meeting new people, my personality will likely be outgoing. Once I get to know people, it's probably going to reel in a little bit and be a bit more chill. Um, so that always kind of confuses people a little bit about me. Um, but with that said, I'm yeah, I'm happy to meet all new types of people, but people who I'm actually going to maybe hang out with a second or a third time are going to be people that I feel a true connection with. And that would probably have maybe a personality a bit closer to my own. So I don't know if that answers the question, but <laughs> yeah, it does. And I'm curious because you changed tenses there, you know, the, the, the my side, the, the my was the, the outgoing, the extrovert side. And then, but the I side, sorry, I'm, I just, I love language. So I end up sort of yeah. listening for that. The I side seems to be the introvert. So it's almost like mm -hmm. two different parts of you are introvert and extrovert. It's like, mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of it just to put into context, you know, I suppose we refer to ourselves typically as me, myself and I, they're the three, yeah. the three majors. Um, it's just interesting. Part of you enjoys the outgoing part of it. And part of you loves the sort of, you know, the retreat, the introvert, the self-preservation, the, the self-growth. So just mm -hmm. curious, you know, and, um, cause your language is also very kinesthetic. Is that something you're aware of? Is that something you, you, you sort of, are you, it just comes across very feeling and very, you know, touch-based language. Does that make sense? Say more. I want to make sure I'm understanding what you mean. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, because I suppose we typically, again, we're, we're led by either kinesthetic, visual, or auditory. So mm -hmm. we're either typically feeling, um, mm -hmm. and that's a lot of your language comes across as I feel this. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I touch things, I feel, you know, and, and what it is visually is I see and, mm -hmm. um, you know, auditory is I hear, I hear what you're saying, you know, so, mm -hmm. but your language seems to be very, very sort of kinesthetically based, which, which is interesting. I find, especially given the, the background and the area and the field you're in, 
Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Have I clarified a little bit better? Yeah, yeah, no, it totally makes sense. That is something I've been very intentional about um, because I spent so much of my life completely disconnected from how I feel. And so for me as well, like it's not saying like I am angry. It's like I feel angry, right? You're not your emotion. You're not that part, right? It's like you're almost like a level above it, like bird's eye view, like I feel this thing. So you're kind of observing it. So my language is intentional because for me, I mean, human beings are not like thinking beings, we're feeling beings. And so a lot of the time we try to, and I'm still guilty of this, I'll, you know, intellectualize things instead of feeling it. So I very consciously look at like, how am I actually feel about this conversation? How do I actually feel about this thing as a way to connect myself to myself after years of just feeling like a bit of a floating head as it were. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that, that sort of feeling or sensing as to who you truly are, as you said, I think it's, it's extremely powerful. You know, once you get past the thinking brain or the knowing brain, the ego is, you know, depending on how you look at it. Um, where's your superpower? Where, where do we find Victoria in her flow state being of most connected, most service, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever your, your sort of superpower region is, do you think? Mm. I have an immense capacity to hold space and empathize with people, which is why I love coaching so much. Because it's not so much of like, oh, that sucks that you're there. It's like, I know how that feels, right? Like I've been there. I felt that pain. I felt that hardship. I know how scary it can feel. And to be able to hold space for people and just make them feel seen and heard in whatever area they're like, maybe it is me doing work. Maybe it's just a conversation with a friend or even someone on the street or in an Uber, you know, like just being able to really hold space for people, um, in a way that I've always, I always wanted to have space held for me. Right. I think we always, you know, in some way or another, sometimes we become who we wanted to be, you know, we wanted, what we wanted to have, I guess, is that we're kind of growing up. And so, because I never felt heard or seen or understood my superpower now is making sure that other people don't feel left out. They feel seen, they feel heard. And that has been so liberating for me to connect with people, but also connecting through that vulnerability. So it's like, I lead with like being super open and sharing my story. And then other people feel safe to share theirs and talk to me. Um, which is just so, so cool. And I just love it so much. (laughs) Is that a, is that a teaching style you like? Cause I mean, you talk about sort of almost, you know, leading by example and, and demonstrating mm-hmm. what you've been through or how you've achieved certain things. Is that a preferred style for you that actually then it, it sort of lowers the boundaries for people and if people can resonate with you? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, my, my approach is very multifaceted, but one of the biggest things is if we ever want to do any sense of healing, we have to feel safe in our own body. Like if our brain tells us that there's a lion coming or being chased by a tiger, like we're in that fight or flight, that sympathetic state, we feel defensive or feel like we're under attack, whether it be, you know, someone's talking at us, like they're better than us, or whether, you know, someone's just never been through what you've been there through and they, you think that they can't understand. And so you're kind of holding back. So if we feel safe to be ourselves, if we feel safe to, you know, 
share what we're going through, then that's when we can go to healing. You know, like if we're able to, our brain again, feels like we're safe. feels we feel like understood. We're dropping our defenses. We're opening up. We're getting deep more into that kind of subconscious brain. Um, things that maybe we've kept guarded for a long time, working through different stories, limiting beliefs about ourselves, things that maybe we've kept hidden and locked up for so long because we never felt like anyone could understand us. So, mm. yeah. Well, that's, I mean, do, do you, do you understand yourself now? Do you think, or is that a, is that an ongoing thing that sort of unveiling yourself and, and what makes you tick, you know, or, or, you know, what stage are you at in your own development? <laughs> it reminded me of a question I was asking podcast the other day where it was like, if you were a, a type of food, what would you be? And then all, for some reason I thought of Shrek when he's like, ogres are like onions. <laughs> and then he's like, we have lots of layers. And so I'm like, I feel like, like, and I'm an onion. Um, so like, I feel like I'm just constantly like, like Shrek peeling back these like layers of myself and like constantly learning more about myself. And I think it's ongoing, right? I think, you know, I spent much of my life just like piling on layers of who I should be and what I'm supposed to do. And it's been this journey, like peeling them back and kind of redefining what it means to be Victoria, what she actually wants versus what she thinks she should want. Um, and kind of getting closer and closer and closer. Um, but also knowing depending who's in your circle, depending who's around you, depending what's going on in your life, you might be adding some layers on without knowing it. And I think that's just human. We want to kind of fit into our environment and connect, right? Because our brain works. Um, so being conscious of like, what am I picking up from people around me? Do I want to be picking this up? Am I becoming the person I want to become? You know, I don't, I forget what it's like, you know, become the average of the, what is it like the eight people you spend the most time with or something like that. I forgot the number. Um, but, you know, looking at your circle and it's like, are the people around me, the people that I feel truly reflect me or who I think I should be or want to be. And like having those kind of introspective conversations with yourself, um, making sure that you are showing up authentically as you, whatever that means, um, and digging into that and then peeling back layers and layers of what we've been kind of conditioned to believe, you know, we should be, or have to be, or all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Very, very powerful. Tell me as well, what was the, What's been a significant turning point or points for you in your life? I mean, what, what sort of, what was the change from taking that sort of, you know, God forbid that, you know, that 12 year old child that, you know, felt that anxiety, felt the tension, the depression, you know, and, and felt all that to, to who you are today. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's always an important message to get out there, right? You know, it's, it's, yeah. it can be a slow moving train, but ultimately it, it's possible. And, but what, what have been key points for you and, and what's the lessons you've learned maybe? Mm -hmm. I would say one of the biggest moments I had was when I was living in Montreal and I was working for a big company there. And, um, I was really at my worst point of struggling with anorexia. And I remember I had woken up at like 2am and I had a handful of trail mix. Like I stumbled out of my bed. I'd gone to bed at like one because I didn't sleep. So I was so anxious at this time. Stumbled out of my bed, went to the kitchen, had a handful of trail mix, half asleep. I didn't have anything in my kitchen. I had like coffee and some trail mix. And I remember just kind of waking up and like having someone like, Oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like I had all this trail mix. Like I'm not allowed to have this trail mix and literally having a full blown panic attack crying on the floor in a ball, like 2am, not knowing what to do. Cause all I wanted to do was go back to sleep, but I knew there was nothing inside me that was going to allow me to go back to sleep. So I crawled to the closet and I pulled on my running clothes and I started going, like, I went outside, I ran, I started running the streets of Montreal, like it's like 2 30, 3am. 
Um, and I decided like 30 kilometers was like an adequate punishment for a handful of trail mix. So I, and, and the confusing thing about this is you would talk to some people like the lifestyles that it was like, I'm going to run 30 kilometers. Some people would praise me for that. Like, Oh my God, you're such an athlete. You're so strong, not understanding what the driving force is behind it. So this is kind of a little side note here. Never praise people for their bodies. Never praise people for like, you know, some, some external achievements. Cause sometimes you don't know what's kind of the driver behind it. Like for me, the body type I achieved the before and the after photos that were being posted was not coming from a place of empowerment is coming from a place of sickness. And yet I basically had joined this 12 week weight loss guaranteed program from an Instagram influencer. And I was posted all over her social media with millions of followers, my before or my after photos and getting all this attention and, you know, no one realizing that the girl in the after photo was like so much more unhappy, so much more unhealthy than the girl in the before photo who, you know, by societal standards was less healthy and should be less happy, happy. Um, so anyways, um, I was running and remember like I was crying and the, like the headlights, of the cars were like lighting up my face as I was crying and, getting eventually to the top of Mount Royal in Montreal and the sun was just starting to rise. And I just had this like moment, like a goosebump kind of moment where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm going to kill myself. Like I, I can't do this. My hair was falling out of my, and my period was gone. I was going on 30 kilometer runs at 3am. Like my life felt so out of control. And you know, one of the things that I think is like, we often think that if we just got to a certain place or we had a certain body, then we would have freedom, but we're never going to be free by implementing control. And I was just trying to add on more and more layers of control and food rules and restrictions to get to a place where I felt like freedom and happiness. And you can't keep adding on layers and of control to get to freedom. And so there I was standing at the top of the mountain and, you know, the sun was rising and I just had this like very kind of deep moment where I was like, I can't do this on my own. Like I can't beat this thing on my own. I'm at this point that I've, you know, since I was five years old, I wanted to look the way I look and here I am. And it's not making me happier. I'm not healthy. I'm very sick in fact, but still getting all this external attention. Um, thinking that was the connection I was always seeking. So I was like this kind of empty connection. And so I, this moment where I was like, Hey, I need to do something like something needs to change here because I'm on a downward spiral right now. And so I very cautiously decided I'm like, okay, like I need something needs to change. Like I want to live, like I want to choose life. And so I ran down the hill. And when I got home, I called an eating disorder hotline in Montreal. And I talked to this lady on the phone, like bawling for hours and hours, called in sick to work and just like shared everything with her. And like the first time in my life, just like broke open my soul and just like shared everything. And it was so scary. It was so scary being vulnerable and open, but it was also so, it felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders to no longer be carrying everything, my entire, like all my pain, all my sorrow, everything on my back, you know, like pain shared is pain divided. Right. And so it was horribly scary. The de next day I definitely had a vulnerability hangover where I was like, Oh my God. And I really share all those things. But I think it's pretty normal when we are very vulnerable to have that like after like, <gasps> but that's, that's okay. You get, the more we start to share, the more we feel more comfortable with it. Um, but that kind of really kicked off my recovery journey. And 
starting to do this work and kind of find myself again after years of basically just abandoning myself. Gosh, it's amazing the things we'll put ourselves through, isn't it? You know, that thing to, to realize or to to wake ourselves up. I mean, do you, do, you, do you think, I mean, does the body ultimately know or the, the mind ultimately knows and just the conscious mind goes off on this little detour until it eventually says, listen, you can do it your way or we can, you know, make your hair fall out. We can stop you. We can slow you down, do all these things that will snap you into attention. I mean, do, do, you, do you credit the body with having that wisdom? It's, it's difficult to say, honestly, because I wasn't in my right mind. Not only was I not eating enough food to actually have the nutrients to think properly, but an eating disorder, it's not an illness of the body. It's an illness of the mind, right? Like it's in mental illness. So it's like asking someone, you know, with depression, which I also struggled with, right? Like asking them to think maybe super um, clearly and consciously about their own worth right. There can often be like a lot of kind of disconnect there between, you know, their actual worth as a person, which is they are worthy, but in a mind that has been kind of plagued by feelings of inadequacy and self-blame and shaming and all that, which same thing with eating disorder, this, you know, the feeling of I'm not enough. And maybe if I look that way, then I will be enough, but it never will lead to that. So it's just this kind of downward spiral. Um, so I don't know exactly what that moment was. If there was like a little break in the clouds of connection to myself and like this being like, I need to again, choose life or, you know, I I don't know. All I know is that I'm so grateful that I had that moment because my entire life, of course it's been ups and downs. It wasn't like this, like perfectly like, and now I live in Lisbon. Um, (laughs) but like, you know, Sometimes we have to have the breakdowns before we have the breakthroughs, right? We have to have those moments of like, wow, I'm really struggling and this really sucks in order to get to where we're kind of meant to be and where we're wanting to actually go and like letting everything kind of fall to the wayside and be like, I need help. For me, I know like asking for help was one of the most difficult things I've ever done because I had spent my whole life just thinking if I, you know, I have to be strong, I have to be independent, I have to be able to do this on my own. And I, you know, asking for help is weakness, not realizing like asking for help was such a huge, huge moment of strength and courage. Um, and so, yeah, it was a wild journey of ups and downs, but I know that vulnerability and asking for help was what really allowed me to connect, which was really the only thing I ever wanted. Mm. And today, I mean, would you say, do, I mean, do you like yourself? Do you love yourself today? Where, where are you at? I definitely like myself. I love myself a lot of the time, but not always. And I think that's just human. You know, I have definite moments where I'm like, should I go back to like a corporate life and get on? I'm like, well, why? And it's always for me, like bringing back to the why, like, why would I want that? Why do I do that? And I think for myself, I'm very proud of myself for the journey I've gone on, very proud of myself for the risks I've taken to get myself to where I am. And my, my life, I've been able to share that with others and I'm able to connect with people and show them what can happen 
on the other side of recovery. Cause I was so afraid of recovering. Like I remember a psychologist said to me, she's like, if gaining 10 pounds is the difference between being happy, would you do it? And I was like, I'd rather be dead. Like, I was just like, there's no chance I could gain weight and be happy. And so being, you know, something for my younger self, you know, where people also struggling in recovery to look to, um, for what is possible when that's no longer your whole world is for me, it makes me feel so fulfilled and brings me so much joy when I get to live this incredible life and get to share this incredible life with others. Um, so like myself, a lot of the time, I like myself all the time, I love myself most of the time. Um, but I'm understanding as well, like it's human to not feel in love with yourself all the time. I think it's a human to not, you know, to have moments of questioning and to have again, negative emotions, right. When it comes to like emotions, like it's a contrast, right. We need to have the negative in order to feel the positive. So, um, yeah, I think that, I don't know if that answered the question, but that's mm. where I was going. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no, I mean, it's an answer. Yeah. I mean, there's no right or wrong. So it's, it's whatever is relative, right. You know, it's not, we're all different. Thank goodness. You know, and, and that's, that's the, the key thing about it. <laughs> You know, it's, it's always interesting. I mean, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of dialogue, you know, you, do you talk to yourself a lot? Do you, is there multiple voices in there chatting away and, and, uh, keeping you company? I mean, there's definitely like, um, there's like, it's funny. There's definitely like a more negative one that is, if you think about like a car radio, it's like mostly turned down, but then some days it's like a little bit louder, especially if I haven't slept. Like for me, if I don't get enough sleep at night, like that negative voice is like super loud that positive internal reflection, thinking about things that's always on. Like, that's just like always there, always like, um, guiding me, always making me question things, which can sometimes be a lot because I'm not, um, I'm working on being more present in the moment. That's why I do things like meditation and breath work, because I definitely have that part of my brain that wants to analyze and understand everything which is great, but can be exhausting. And again, drive some disconnection from your current reality because you're spending so much time analyzing it. So for me, like getting present, getting mindful through like, you know, meditation or breath work has been so important for me to help kind of streamline that voice in my head, you know, maybe shut it down a little bit sometimes, turn it down a little quieter sometimes. Um, and then practice being more in the moment, more present instead of kind of, yeah, questioning a lot of things as it were. It's always huge, isn't it? Because I mean, you know, that voice in your head can't always, well, it rarely can be trusted, you know, because it's always, it's your doubts, it's your fears, everything, right? It's your past. It's all there. And it's like a ringside narrator just chipping away there. And you're like going, hold on, who, who told you to say this? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. And like the thing I learned as well, is like, not all your thoughts are true which is like a weird thing to think, but I used to believe like everything coming out of my brain was factual. And we think thoughts are true that we think the most often. And a lot of the thoughts that we think the most often are ones that have come from limiting beliefs in our brain that we thought to keep ourselves safe in that moment. They don't always serve us anymore, but we will often continue to think them and then create all this evidence to basically reinforce that limiting belief. So then I have a confirmation bias where for example, if, you know, when I was younger, like five years old, and I remember a group of my friends were asked to play with these older kids and I wasn't asked to play because I was taller. I looked older and they were being so sad and kind of created this belief. Like if I was smaller and cuter, then they would have asked me to play with them. And 
then all these basically situations that led forth in my life were just evidence to further support that claim. So when I thought the same thought of like, oh, that guy would like me if I was skinnier and cuter when I was like 16, right? That was just me repeating that thought from when I was like five years old with tons of evidence to now back it up, which means that I basically primed my brain to only look for evidence to support that situation. So now I have confirmation bias. I have these kind of like tinted rose glasses as it were to only look for that evidence to support it. So for me, like challenging those thoughts now, looking back and being like, was that actually true? Is that actually useful? Right. So maybe it was true all those years ago, but not really, but maybe my, my younger brain, it was, but no, does it actually serve me now to think this is it actually useful for me to believe this thought or is it holding me back? And, you know, with thought work, right. Like if we are shaming ourselves and berating ourselves, that doesn't lead to positive action, right? Shame in our brain actually triggers the same part as if we're in actual physical pain. When we're in physical pain, our brain wants to get away from that because it associates that with death. And so what it's going to do is it's going to try to help you self-soothe. It's going to make you try to feel better. So maybe that is drinking a lot of food or drinking a lot of food, drinking a lot of alcohol or eating a lot of food or, um, you know, gambling or scrolling around, let's see on social media, whatever. And and so it's usually driving the opposite of action of what we wanted to begin with. Um, so for maybe you wanted to eat food that made you feel more nourished and empowered, but if you're blaming yourself and telling yourself you're worth this piece of garbage, thinking that's going to motivate you to go get the salad, that's not what's going to happen. Um, and so, you know, negative thoughts lead to negative actions, positive thoughts lead to positive actions. So for me, like my self-talk narrative has very been very much been geared towards the fact, like knowing that shaming myself and beating myself up is never going to get me to a place where I'm taking positive actions, which is what I truly want in my life. Is that, I mean, all that realizing and sort of deciding to take sort of positive action and, and mm-hmm. being mindful of your language. I mean, is that something that's come through your own journey, your development and, and really sort of the, mentoring and, and sort of outside of yourself i mean is that or talk to me about that journey was that a decision for you yeah it's been a very conscious decision but also again very much understanding the why behind it hmm. because i thought the only way to become a better person was to point out all my flaws and focus on them in order to fix them not realizing that it was the beating myself up and only focusing on my flaws that was preventing me from actually moving forward and reaching my goals So for me to understand, like when I give myself small hits of praise, like I'm really proud of myself for doing that thing. That was really tough. I'm actually giving myself a hit of dopamine. Dopamine is renewable resource. It's uh, in our brain, the neurotransmitter for the anticipation of reward and pleasure. And so if I'm giving myself these little mini praise, these little mini like high fives as it were, I'm giving myself the energy to move forward. If I'm telling myself I'm garbage and I'm shit and I'm ugly and I'm fat and I'm stupid and whatever, I'm driving cortisol, stress, I'm driving norepinephrine, I'm driving adrenaline, I'm driving all the neurotransmitters, the hormones that are going to drive burnout. So I'm like driving the opposite of what I want. And again, that's going to trigger the part of our brain that shame, pain, self-soothing. So for me, understanding kind of the, the science, you know, a little bit behind talk, positive self-talk um, was really important because, you know, we could say good vibes only and speak kindly to yourself and rainbows and butterflies and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for me, it never clicked because I was like, okay, but why, like, why would I do that? It sounds stupid (laughs) when I was in that kind of space in my life. So now that I understand kind of the drivers behind why it's actually important to do that and how it's actually going to benefit me and get me to where I want to go. Now I can actually implement that self-talk and realize like getting mad at myself, blame myself, 
going to drive the opposite action of what I want. Um, so it just doesn't serve me. Do I still have negative thoughts come up? Of course. Do I always believe them? Not always. Sometimes. Yeah. If I'm super tired, if I haven't eaten enough. Um, but I'm much better and more capable of challenging them and redirecting them because I know the negative ones aren't serving me. And then the more times I think the more positive ones, the more times that gets reinforced, the easier it is to become because I have more evidence of that one. I mean, are, are you able to catch that in yourself, you know, your own language or your tone or what's, what's going on? I mean, are, are you able to self-reflect in that way and, um, you know, pick that up or do, do you think it always takes someone else externally to almost to listen to your language because we're almost too close to it for ourselves, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, it really depends on the day. I wish I could say like every day I'm really reflecting and like consciously catching it, but you know, it's funny. I worked to the mindset coach years ago and I didn't realize it until I'd worked with them, but I was, he's like, you know, sometimes you get into these like really negative head spaces. I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't know what it is. And then I was like, you know what? I think it has to do with my sleep. If I don't get enough sleep, I am so negative. My thoughts are so negative. I'm not able to catch them. I get into a really dark head space. And so I remember messaging him. I was like, Hey, if you notice I'm on like a really negative train of thought, you know, in our work or whatever, could you just ask me how much I slept? Because I'm going to forget. And it's definitely going to be what it is. <laughs> and so yeah, I would be, you know, whatever, whatever, like, I don't know if I should be doing, maybe I should just go back to Canada, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, questioning, wondering, Victoria, how much sleep do you get last night? And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I got like five hours. Thank you. Like, <laughs> I was like <laughs> such a paramount shift. So it's like, you know, like the halt, right? Like hungry, angry, lonely, tired. For me, tired is like one of the biggest ones. If I'm hungry also, I'm going to be super grumpy, super negative. Um, so, you know, if I haven't gotten enough sleep, I'm so much more gentle with myself. And I also don't believe my thoughts to be true. Like last night, I just got back on the train early this morning. I did not get a ton of sleep. And I was talking to my mom and I was like, oh, I miss my mom, I miss my dog. Like, what am I doing? Should I be here? And I was like, okay, I definitely have these thoughts coming up. I know I've not gotten enough sleep. I know I'm tired. I know I need a shower. Like, you know, I know to eat something. Um, so like, let's come back to this tomorrow. Once you have enough sleep, you can really look at this. Like, do I want to stay here? Whatever. Do I want to try a new country. Should I go back to visit a family? Um, but I know right now I'm not in a headspace where I'm thinking really clearly about it because I'm having of no underlying that I'm hungry and I'm tired and haven't showered and I have a lot of calls today. So my head's not really in a good space to maybe, you know, look at that and have a really good analysis. So I think when it comes to self-talk and like kind of catching it, being aware of what those things might be for you. So maybe it's like, if you had a super long day, at work, maybe you didn't eat enough or you had a fight with a partner, maybe that's not the time to, um, take on big kind of questions about life and believe the self-talk that you're having to be true, but rather, um, have in those moments being like, okay, noticing these thoughts coming up, I'm going to maybe not believe it to be true, write them down maybe, and then we come back to them when I'm in a better headspace. So I mean, if you're, if you're making big decisions or anything like that, do you, are you, do you tend to be more reactive? Do you, do you, are you impulsive or do you like to take the time? And as you say, just to think on it or sleep on it. I mean, what's your, What's your modus operandi, you know? I'm definitely, it's funny. I'm in, I'm not impulsive until I am. Meaning I will think about something a lot. I will like, for example, moving to Portugal, I'll be like, okay, do I want to live here? going to do some research, going to look at this. And then once I make up my mind that I'm going to do it, it's like my plane is booked 
within like the hour. My, you know, I've checked, I've already messaged the visa. Um, I booked my Airbnb. Like, it's like, once I decide something, I'm like, full first ahead. I don't usually consult people. Like I'm not someone who's looking outward to be like, should I move here? Should I not move here? Should I do this? Should I do that? I'm someone who's like, nope. Once I know what I truly want, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to look for external opinions. Um, but yeah, it's for me, it can be a, maybe a drawn out point of like, should I do it? Should I not? Um, which I need to probably expedite a little bit because I think there's so much anxiety with indecision versus just taking actions. Um, but for me, once I decide and make that kind of conscious decision that I'm just, I'm off to the races, I'm like on a flight tomorrow. <laughs> I think it's so interesting. Cause I mean, with, with the eye, you know, the eye being almost the introverted side, if that's, if that's correct, I mean, the eye thinks about it and then the, you know, the doing part becomes the my, you know, the outgoing part that says, let's get this done. <laughs> boom, yeah. boom, boom. You know, so it's almost like the two parts saying the decision has been made, right? Please go execute X, uh, you know, to the right going yeah. side, <laughs> my like, side, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the council yeah. has spoken, therefore it is totally. there. Uh, you know, so it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? The way the brain works or, you know, really sort of what way we, we reflect on things, you know? So tell me, what are you capable of? That's a great question. I think that I'm capable of just sounds cheesy. I think I'm capable of doing anything. The only thing that stops me is the thoughts that I can't do that thing. So the self-doubt, the questioning, like, you know, I'm looking at PhD programs right now and I'm like, can I do that? Like, is this a good idea? Will I drop out? Will I not get through it? Will I have enough money to pay for it? Like, you know, all those kind of thoughts creep in, but I have this like very strong sense of like, this is what I want to do. Um, and so I think any human is capable of literally doing anything they want to do. It's just a matter of getting out of their own way, which the self-talk, the understanding of why you want to do the thing, you know, for me, I, you know, I actually had started my master's in economics years ago and I, I didn't finish it. I did like a couple of weeks of it. And, you know, I was doing it not because I wanted to do it, but it was because I thought I should do it. I thought it sounded good to do it. So for me, like doing a PhD and like, you know, whatever it is that you feel like you should be doing, or, you know, you want to be capable of, as it were, understanding like, what is the reason why I want to do it? Like, what's the underlying driver for me? I'm like, I just love researching. I love learning. I love understanding more about myself, love more, understanding more about other people. And I just get so excited the, the idea of like, going back to classes and just like filling my brain with stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that, yeah, I'm capable of anything. It's just a matter of getting out of my own way, mm. which as the years have gone on, I've become better and better and better at. Mm. What, what is on the, the bucket list? What's on the goal list for you coming up that, that you're happy to share? I'm not wanting you to divulge everything, but I mean, just what's, what's the sort of the big things that were out there manifesting? Yeah. I mean, I have a big bucket list. Um, I, my bucket list right now is like, I'm I'm writing a New York times bestseller. I mean, it's not done yet and I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm putting it out there and I'm saying it is. Um, I also want to do a Ted talk one day. That's on my list of things to do. I'd love to do a Ted talk. Um, those are kind of like my two big main goals in terms of like more career aspirations would be Ted talk and book. Um, I mean, getting PhD as well. Um, and then yeah, as well, like more on the personal side, like I'm, I want to yeah meet someone, have a family, 
impart a lot of these really cool life lessons and learnings onto yeah, my children. So that's on my bucket list or my life aspirations, goals, lists, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I would, I mean, those are the big things. I think my bucket list for a long time, my bucket list was this like thing that was like things I want to do, but never really seemed attainable because of what the limits I'd placed on myself. So now that nothing in my life seems very unrealistic, like everything seems like I could do that. I could go live there. I could go do that thing. It's funny that my bucket list has become less of a forefront in my life just because before it was kind of almost like a vision board of something that I wanted to do, but could never quite do it versus now it's kind of, I live it. So it's like, I, like I took the train to Porto for the weekend. I stayed a few nights and then I went to another place and then I was in Bali for a few years. Like everything just seems like I can do these things, which means I don't have to think as conscientiously about doing them because it's possible. I don't know if that made sense, but <laughs> it does. I mean, that's well to be, yeah, to be conscious in, in terms of what we're doing and to doing what we live do or love to do every day is mm-hmm. is powerful very powerful in itself you know and really what's you know what's it all about really you know but what what are you what are you most proud of for yourself i'm so proud that <laughs> that i'm alive um i've someone who's had three suicide attempts in my life age 16 um, the early twenties. And I literally, it's, it's like, it's come up a couple of times just in the past few weeks where I literally was just like walking down the street, like looking out the ocean. I'm just like, I'm just so happy to be alive. And I'm just really proud of myself for going through so much pain and so much sadness and like, literally like crying myself to sleep every night for so many years being like, what is the point? Like, it's not worth it. I can't do this. And, you know, just to be able to talk to my ears, like just, you know, the idea of like speaking to my 16 year old self and just being like, you know, like we fucking love our life. And like, we're so happy that we're still here and that, you know, it all works out. Um, and I'm just so proud that I didn't give up and I kept pushing, um, because it was worth it. And that's, yeah, I feel like that's definitely what I'm I'm most proud of. And do you think, I mean, has that, are you aware of what your purpose is in life? I mean, are you, are you at that stage, do you think, or do you, do you know what your calling is per se? I think my calling is to help other people understand, fast track and alleviate the pain that I once felt. Because I never want anyone to feel as alone or as broken as I did And I've kind of made my life mission to make people feel understood and seen and heard, whether that be an eating disorder recovery or that be, you know, in calls, my group programs where it's talking more about, you know, just like connection and purpose and meaning and all that kind of stuff. So I think however that kind of manifests in terms of whether or not I get my PhD or not, um, I think my purpose is the vulnerability the empathy, the sharing and helping people kind of unpack a lot of the why behind what they're doing so that they release that shame, and become empowered in their life. Mm. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. It's, it's a big thing that's, yeah. I mean, there's so many people go through it, you know, so it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an amazing calling. 
tell me what's what's a bit of a, a guilty pleasure for you take the guilt out if you wish i don't mind yeah <laughs> i was like let's not use polarizing language to demonize food uh, <laughs> mm, okay i would say that's a great question because I, I guess I don't really categorize things as like guilty pleasures anymore, just because like, I don't restrict myself from pleasures. Um, what do you treat yourself with? Put it that way. Yeah. I love to take little getaways. Like I love to book a hotel for a few nights and take a train or like when I was in Bali, I took my motorbike to this like beautiful resort for the weekend and just yeah, just let myself be there and experience it and just be very present um, and journal a lot and feel really grounded. Um, so yeah, my pleasure as it were is going on these like little mini escapes, which I just got back from one of them today. So I just think it's amazing when you get to go new places and experience new things. Cause not only do, you know, humans, we just operate so much in habit loops, right? We operate so much in just doing the same thing over and over again. We operate at the subconscious, like most of our life. So when we go new places, if we're even just like sitting in a new seat at our desk at work, whatever, like at the, around the table, we think new thoughts because we're out of our kind of familiar territory. And so what I love about exploring the world is that it's constantly helping me to evolve and change my worldview and change my thoughts and just gain new perspectives. And and I just like, it just brings me so much joy when I got to be this like little kid on an adventure, exploring and like learning and seeing and being so present and so conscious and so mindful instead of kind of living in these habitual loops of not really truly being there. Mm. And leisure and pleasure for you for that recharge. I mean, what does that look like? Mm. I mean, I don't know how, if you've categorized this, but I love to CrossFit and I find that like the best thing. Like I have so much fun. I just completely don't think about anything when you're there. You don't worry about any problems. Like you're so in it and to feel so connected to my body and feel so strong and like empowered. Um, it just makes me so happy. It's like, it brings me so much pleasure and so much joy. Um, and I also have no expectations around how it's going to change my body or how it's going to be look like I literally just do it. Cause I love it. Um, when I work with clients, it's like, you know, intuitive movement. Like if you know, it wouldn't change how your body looks, but you still do it for me. Like it just makes me feel alive. makes me feel connected to my body, um, makes me feel empowered and strong. And I get to build community with other people there. So yeah, it's one of my most favorite things. Also mental health. Like it's just like such a game changer when you're moving your body, um, makes me feel amazing. So yeah. Mm. <laughs> The secret to life, CrossFit. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Secret to life, sponsored by CrossFit. Yeah, I uh, know. Yeah, no. uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I love it. I mean, it's not for everyone. It's like some people find it a bit intense. I was an athlete my whole life. I played university volleyball um, on scholarship and the states, and so I've always had that like very competitive like need for a bit of an outlet in that regard. And so yeah, CrossFit has like been this really great way for me to feel connected to my body, empowered, connect to other people in a kind of a community, um, for mental health, like moving my body, moving in the morning, like getting out of my room, having some structure. Um, it's been, it's been so amazing. So yeah, <laughs> no mirrors too. So you're just like, you're just in it. <laughs> Are we a little competitive? Just a tad. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, 
it's funny. I used to be a lot more competitive and I used to be really competitive with guys because I always like growing up guys are always like, Oh, we're stronger and better. And I was like, always like the most feminist, like, no, I can do it too. You know, like a teacher had asked like someone to move a desk at school and be like, I need a strong boy. And I'm like, why did you ask a girl? Like I could move the desk. Um, so CrossFit is always fun because I love to show up the guys in CrossFit too. <laughs> so just don't take you on an arm wrestle. That's, that seems to be the moral of the story. You know, that was great. <laughs> love it. I mean, you know, <laughs> Tell me if, if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly in one or two words, what would they be? Fire in the belly. Mm, what would it be for me? When I'm talking with someone and you just are both on that same level and you're both like really connecting and it's usually related to my work. Um, but they get it. They have it like kind of like light behind their eyes, like aha moment. And they're, and they just like light up and it just gives me the like it just gives me so much fire and so much excitement. It just makes me feel so alive. And I'm like, you get it. Like you understand, like you releasing the shame and like acceptance and empowerment. And like, it's just the coolest moments. And like, I could just live off just like, little snips of those, moments, which I do. I just like live for those little moments. They're so cool. So yeah. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Tell us where can people learn more, track you down, hunt you down, stalk you, any of the above? <laughs> Yeah. So I hang out mostly on Instagram. Um, so that is at Victoria Evans official. I'm posting a ton of stuff there, a lot of tools and techniques and free trainings. Um, so definitely come check me out there. Let me know you've listened to this episode. Um, you can also find me on my website, www.victoriaevansofficial.com. All my programs are there. I have a lot of blog posts, free resources as well to check out. Um, my podcast weighing in on happy. Um, so lots of bi-weekly email or bi-weekly emails, bi-weekly episodes are coming out, um, as well as, oh yeah, I'm on TikTok. So that is at Victoria Evans officially L Y because that other one was taken. So that's me. <laughs> oh, what? And is there a final message you'd like to leave with our guests? Mm. Uh, that you're not broken. I think so many of us had this idea that we're broken and need a fixing, and when we release this idea and start to embrace the one that we're enough as we are, we're just able to start to truly live and feel into our potential and show up in a way that is so powerful and meaningful. Um, so yeah, just remind yourself you're not broken. Despite what all the magazines and social media says, you don't need to buy the product or do the thing. You're enough as you are. So. Love it. Love it. Victoria, it's been absolutely whirlwind and beautiful to hear and you know all your experiences what's been going on. I know we've only just tipped the surface very likely. <laughs> so uh listen, I want to thank you for coming on, thank you for sharing and uh listen, look forward to it and, and well done and we look forward to hearing more. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. <laughs> well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Valley. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy oh boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.